In today's show, I was striving for so long and I still fall back into this, like, oh, like I got to do this or I got to keep this going or I got to reach that goal. And like, it can motivate you to do things and achieve things. And, and as entrepreneurs, we, we need that little fire in our belly, but I, I hate striving because you never arrive at enough until you decide what enough is. So to me, success is when you know what your enough is, enough money, enough uh, praise from, from other people, enough uh, whatever. And, and for me, if I, if, when I just have arrived at, and I feel like I'm, I'm again, work in progress, I have enough of what everything I need. I had, it's all here. I am enough. I don't have to be something that I'm not. I don't have to cling to something that I, I don't have. I have enough and I am enough. And I think that's the most important thing to success. Otherwise it's not going to be dollars. I've, I've made a lot more money than I ever thought. And I didn't get any happier. <laughs> I had nicer things and we had more opportunities, but I wasn't any happier. If anything, I had more existential problems and like, oh my gosh, like, who am I? What do I do about this? And um, the man enough to me, that's what success is. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to another episode of The Root of All Success. I'm the real Jason Duncan, and man, I have got a really cool conversation in store for you today. I'm going to be talking with Graham Cochran, and if you are a fan of following business news, you may have seen a recent article on CNBC about this 38-year-old entrepreneur who makes $160,000 per month passively. I always read those types of articles because I'm interested. I, I'm in pursuit, like probably you are, in pursuit of that, that uh, passive income. That's why I build the businesses uh, that I own the way that I do, so I don't have to actively participate in the day-to-day -day operations. Well, Graham Cochran's figured out how to do that to the tune of $160,000 a month and growing. And he only spends about five hours a week in his work. So we're going to talk today pretty deeply about that. But let me tell you a little bit about who Graham is. He is the author of a book called how to get paid for what you know. And he's a business coach to over 3,000 premium customers worldwide. He founded the Recording Revolution, which is a seven-figure online music business in 2009. And that's really where things got started. You're going to hear us talk about that in the show, about how he started blogging and how long it took to get that thing up and running. And he now hosts over 80,000 monthly followers on his podcast, YouTube, and his blog, talking about business, about mindset, about productivity, and psychology. Graham has been featured in Business Insider, Yahoo, The Huffington Post, and of course, CNBC, which is where I found him. And we're going to link that article 
uh, in the show notes. So if you want to go check that out, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I'm here at my home office in Gallatin, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. And uh, it is a beautiful day in Nashville. It's a beautiful April day. And uh, not only when this is going to release, probably sometime in May, but hopefully you're having a great day. Thank you for spending some time today on your podcast player or on YouTube. If you're watching this, thank you for tuning in. You can follow me on Instagram at the real Jason Duncan, and you can follow me on uh, LinkedIn at the real Jason Duncan. And interestingly enough, because this is current news going on right now as I'm recording, it has just been announced that Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Uh, and uh, so I deactivated my Twitter account years ago because of the stuff that I didn't like seeing on there. And they were banning people that just had different opinions. So I'm back. So if you're on Twitter, go follow me at real Jason Duncan. They don't let me put the V in there because it makes the name too long. So if you're on Twitter, go to at real Jason Duncan on Twitter. And uh, I don't know how, how much I'll be involved in it, but uh, but I'm back, baby. All right. Enough with all that. Let's go ahead and get into today's show. Please help me welcome Graham Cochran to the show. Well, Graham, welcome to the show, man. It is an honor to have you on the show. Just thanks for doing this today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Jason. Thanks for inviting well, I would have much preferred to be able to do this in person. And, uh, but you know how, the, the, what's weird is I started this podcast and I only did in person, I only hundred percent, only in person. I did that for almost a year. And then wow. it just got to the point where some of the guests I wanted to have access to either couldn't travel or wouldn't travel, or it just didn't work out. So now I almost exclusively do these like this, but I do miss sitting across from somebody. I don't know if you smoke cigars or anything like that, but typically I would be smoking a cigar, drinking a glass of bourbon, having a long conversation. Oh, and a man, I should have brought some bourbon in today, my midday <laughs> bourbon on Zoom. Well, and I have been known to do that from time to time too, but man, thank you for being here. So, so I want to tell everybody, I, and I mentioned this in the intro, but I was, um, it was a couple of weeks ago, I read an article on CNBC about this 38 year old, entrepreneur who makes $160,000 in passive income, works five hours a week. I'm like, okay, that's a very interesting uh, headline. And so I read the story with great, uh, with, with great interest and then reached out to you and you were kind enough to reply. So yeah, I would love to be on your show. So uh, that's how I was introduced to you, but I want to start, I want to kind of start our conversation today for the root of all success on this episode. How did you get your start as an entrepreneur, because sometimes people say, well, I started as a kid. I used to mow yards or I sold lemonade. Um, others for, uh, you know, for others, like I didn't start my entrepreneurial journey until I was in my late thirties. So what, what, are, how did it get started for you? What was your first thing you did as an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I, I dabbled in freelance stuff uh, in co- starting in college. I was an audio engineer. So I'm a musician by background, singer, songwriter, wanted to be a rock star, Um, got into audio engineering. So like producing records, I thought that was fun. And so I had some equipment and I remember being in my college dorm uh, as a freshman and I would, I would record bands and it started by recording like senior recitals for the music school. I'd put flyers around the campus and be like, Oh, I could have come record your recital. And I dabbled and that was confident enough to do that. It was a, a basic service. And then I started to make records for bands and that was, it was all just fun. So when it, when entrepreneurship was fun and it was no pressure, it was a fun process for me. And that's where I really got my start. I tried to go full-time in my early twenties doing audio engineering and it stressed me out when clients would back out or they need their deposit back, or they had to push the record back till like four months later. And I'm like, I was my rent money that month. I need, I need, we need to make the record now. So I couldn't handle it. I just went back to a, a, 
I was an audio engineer for a software company. I just needed stability. So that was my first dabbling in it. But the short story is it took a global recession in 2008, 2009 for me to have to start a business. And that's really where this business began. So as a musician, uh, just because I, I, I love to play guitar, I, I'm not a very good guitarist, but I love to play. So what, what is your instrument of choice? What do you like to play? Yeah, I'm a guitar player, but I, you know, you live in Nashville. I have to be careful. I'm a singer that plays guitar, not a guitar player that sings. Those are very different things. Oh, well, let me tell you, I, I, even though I live here, I do not have the chops that these guys do. I, I, I started playing guitar, I guess, ah, man, it was again, probably late early thirties. I didn't really play ever. And, uh, it's, a, it's just a fun thing to do and I don't do it often, but my son has become a pretty, pretty darn good guitarist. And my daughter is really good at her, her guitar and she plays pretty much anything, but so guitar is your thing, uh, but you're also a songwriter. So have, uh, so I've never had that ability to do creative songwriting. Do you think that songwriting kind of played into you or the creative ideas behind what you're doing as an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I've always been a creative, so I was a theater kid. Um, I was did musical theater. Um, I like building things and creating things and playing. Um, I was interested in like photography a little bit like Photoshop. Cause that was cool. You could mess with things, you know, website design. I remember like playing, like I'm not good at any of these things, but I remember playing with like Dreamweaver back in the day to make websites like back in like 2000, 2001, like, and it was so confusing, but I was like, I just wanted to understand how to make something um, in a creative sense. Uh, and when it got too technical, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I don't like the technical stuff, but yeah, I think I have a creative brain. Um, what's interesting though, is how all those things seemed to random to me, like all my interests, I always lamented the fact as a kid and a teenager, teenager that I was a jack of all trades, master of none is what it felt like. And I really wanted to be great at one thing. And I never was, I was pretty good at a lot of things. And it felt like really challenging as a young kid going into college, getting out of college. Like, well, what do you go big on? Like, I'm not, I'm, I want to be world-class, but in a way, all those random things really helped me do what I do now for a living. I get to dabble in website, dabble in video, dabble in performing and speak. I, I public speak every week on the podcast and the videos, if you want to say it that way. And I, I love all of that stuff. So it's come in handy. Well, it is interesting how we are prepared for success by things we wouldn't have ever thought. Um, I, I feel like that you and I are probably a lot more alike than we, than we know, because I feel like that I have always been that that uh, jack of all trades, master of none. And, and, I, and I sometimes second guess it, even to this day as an entrepreneur and, and I've, I've built multi-million dollar businesses, but I still feel like, what would, what would it really be like if I just focused on one thing and I didn't do anything else? Like for you and I were talking pre-show about the podcast. I love doing this podcast, but it's not really a moneymaker for me. But, but what if, like, if I just said, you know, forget everything else, I'm only going to do this. I'm not doing nothing. What would happen? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid, honestly, I'm afraid to take that leap. So I, I think you and I are probably very much alike, but you've succeeded significantly since then. So how does, uh, how did this success, you know, I read about in this article. So you were, you were doing the blog uh, in 2008 about recording the recording revolution blog. And it just started taking off pretty, I wouldn't say overnight, but it started taking off pretty quickly. And you turn that into a YouTube channel um, how did that affect your, you got a wife and some kids, right? Tell, tell me about your family. how did that affect yeah. them? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my wife, Shay, she's amazing. Um, I've known her for 20 years now. We've been married almost 17. Um, I have two daughters, almost 13 year old and a 10 year old at the time though, we were, we were three years married, 
brand new baby, had just moved to Florida, had just bought our first house. And that's when I lost my job. And, and as the second job I lost in the same year, 2009 was a bad year, lost two jobs that year. But uh, that was when I was trying to get more freelance clients for the music production. That's what led me to like, well, maybe I could blog, maybe I could start a YouTube channel. It could have been a podcast, but I wanted to start putting out some content that showed, showed my chops, show what I was doing with what clients I did have to establish some authority, credibility, maybe get some more client work. But yeah, it was, it was scary because it was just like a lead generator was the goal. And then people ended up really liking the videos. So imagine like everyone in the world's like, your podcast is amazing, Jason. Like, can you do an episode a day? And you're like, but this doesn't pay me any money. So like I, I couldn't justify the, the desire, even for my small little audience for more content. Um, but I did as much as I could in between client work. Cause again, I was unemployed. Um, so I had time. So I would just pump out content. And then it was really a race to figure out how could I monetize this even if it just maybe a thousand bucks a month or 2000 bucks a month that would help because we were on food stamps and we were on Medicaid, like we would take whatever we could get. So I just needed it to do something to justify the time I was spending on it. So food stamps and Medicaid, barely making ends meet, losing two jobs to $160,000 a month of passive income for five hours worth of work. Um, anybody who doesn't believe that's possible, what would you say to them? Oh man, sometimes I don't believe it's possible. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that CNBC article was a trip because any I don't get a ton of major press. I'm trying to do a little bit more, but whenever I get outside of like my niche and my area and it's now like the general public and you get a lot of eyeballs for a couple of weeks, you, everything ramps up and including the the skepticism and hate mail. I got a lot of that. I always get some of it, but I got a lot of that. And a lot of it is just, this isn't possible. This smells like it's a bunch of red flags in this article. This isn't real. And dude, that makes sense because it is hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine something like that. It just is. It's hard for me to imagine. My goal, Jason, was to make $60,000 a year. If I could do that full-time, like working 40 hours a week, 60K a year from home, I thought I would have won the lottery because my wife and I used to make $30,000 a year full-time at our respective jobs. And if she wanted to stay home with her baby and I could replace her salaries and not have to leave the house, talking about music all day, I was like... This is crazy. So that was all I could imagine because you've done incredible things. I bet you couldn't have imagined what you've accomplished 20, 30 years ago. And it's hard to, to imagine some things. You can only, we always want a little bit better than what we have because that's all we can kind of imagine. And so I, I'm not one of those entrepreneurs that had a vision. I'm not an Elon Musk that can like literally like see this is what we got to go build. Let's go get to Mars. And it's going to start with, you know, Tesla and it's going to start with SpaceX and then maybe Twitter will get involved with all that somehow <laughs> get us to Mars. But he's got a vision. Jeff Bezos had a vision for what Amazon could be. And it's so noble and, and inspiring. I'm not that guy. I'm like figuring out what God's been doing all along kind of guy. But as I got a little further, I'm like, well, maybe that would be possible. Maybe that would be possible. So I'm like a couple steps at a time guy. And I just kept pushing the boundaries. How much could it make but more importantly, how little could I work in it? Because I don't want to work a lot. And that was always interesting to me is how could I keep the revenue the same or grow it, but work less every year? And that's been a fun game I've been trying to play for 13 years. Why do you think people hate on that? I, I, I've never understood that. I have my theories about it, about why people would, first of all, take the time to write you a letter after reading an article. Like, come on, man, don't you have life? But why do you think, where do you think that motivation comes from? Where, why are they, what are they thinking that makes them say, I, that's crazy. And we hate you because of, because of what you're doing. What, what do you think? Yeah, there's two, two ways of seeing the world. I mean, I hate to boil it down, but there's really two ways of seeing the world. There's a scarcity mindset and there's an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. And 
this can look a lot of different ways and you may not use those words, but it's functionally the same thing. So I think that has a, to do a lot to do with your upbringing, the people around you, and maybe some personality tendencies. There's some people that have just you know, more negative tendencies and, and they may have to fight through that. Some people are a little too positive and they get themselves into trouble. They try everything. But I think that it's, we're a product of one of those two. So I think the hate mail comes from people that see the same, they see that story and they go, that's not possible because it's not possible for me. I couldn't do that. So either it's not really real or he did something shady to get that. I mean, America struggles right now, right? Because we have this dichotomy in our mind. Americans have been taught to both love and hate successful people. We all want to be successful, but we all demonize successful people, right? All the bad guys in the movies are business owners. <laughs> it's the oh worst, gosh, you yeah. know? And it's like, man, so, but it's because there's this scarcity mindset. But then the, another person can look at the same article. You're one of them. But even someone that's not been successful like you could look at the same article and say, wow, that's possible. You know, instead of like, that's not possible. They go, is that possible? How could, how could that be possible? They get curious about maybe, maybe I won't do what Graham did, or maybe it'll take me a little bit longer or less money, but maybe I could do something like that. So it's just the same facts and same data points, but two different ways of looking at the world. And I think we're a product of our upbringing for sure. So some of us had to have to come out of a scarcity mindset and learn an abundance mindset. And some people, maybe we're blessed to be in a family that kind of like thought about what the possibilities are. And that's incredible. Not all, all of us had that. I didn't have that. I, I didn't have that. So I've had to learn that. Um, but other people have it naturally, but I think that's what it is. There's two ways of seeing the world and that's how you're going to get reactions to that kind of kind of content. I would think that you're, you're probably right on. And it, it really is a shame though, that there are people that look at, look at success. Um, they got bad money stories. You know, they've got this idea that money somehow is intrinsically evil. And if you got a lot of it, you evidently cheated somebody to get there. I remember, I, and I, I remember talking, uh, it, it, talking with somebody about this not too long ago. And I, I grew up in a pretty middle-class family, you know, we never went without, but we certainly didn't do exotic vacations or anything like that. But, but there was always this unspoken thing, not just in the family, but like in the community and in our church that the people who had money were somehow they're less like they're, they're not. And it's a shame. I never, I don't, I didn't realize I had that money story until my life started exhibiting some of that things because I, I become a millionaire and it, it, it kind of, wow, what, what, what is he doing? Who's he cheating? What, what, what rules did he break? So um, yeah, it's a shame that that happens, but, but congratulations to you for uh, surpassing your $60,000 annual goal by uh, <laughs> significant numbers. <laughs> Thank you. So, so, um, so Shay, is your wife Shay? Yeah. So Shay, uh, Shay is watching you write this blog and were there, were there ever moments in this uh, beginning? She's like, you need to really go get a job. It was, was there this moment? She's like, this is, that's cool that you're doing this, honey, but you, you really need to go get a job somewhere. Did that ever happen? That conversation? You know, she never did, never did come up because it was really the opposite. I'm, I'm the more fearful one. She's the more entrepreneurial one. She has her really? own successful business. And she's always been like the, that kid that was having lemonade stands. Like you said, that was her. Like she was selling stuff to kids on the playground. She could turn anything into something to sell. Um, so very different personalities. So I, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I thought I would just stay as a creative and she could be the entrepreneur doing her thing. But so when she saw what I was doing, she was like, you hate having a job. Like, like literally I hated being in a cubicle. I hated working retail. She's like, you hate that. That's not you. So she didn't want that for me because as her, as my wife, she wanted me to be happy. Now, was she scared? Did she like being on food stamps? No. 
but she was like, we could make something work. You know, I, she was a photographer. She still is. And now she owns a, um, a stock photography agency, like a subscription product, but she used to like do weddings and portraits. And she's like, I can, I can get some gigs. You'll do some gigs for the, ba- you know, with your bands. And, and then, yeah, maybe this online thing will work. You'll pick up a little bit of the income or sponsors on the podcast or something. So she didn't know how it would work either, but she would rather me give that a shot. So on the days when I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like the, the Christmases and the holidays when I had to go see her parents and her grandfather. And he's like looking at me like, what are you going to do to provide? You know, like I can just tell. So blogging about what, but what music production, how does that make money? I don't know how it makes money, but I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Like it was scary. It was nerve wracking, but she was always supportive. And so without her, I probably would have gone and gotten a job because I was too scared to do it. Man, that that's such a such a blessing to have a friend and a and a spouse like that who's such an encouragement. So good on you, Shay. If you're listening, <laughs> way to go. Um, so now let's talk about you did the blog first in 08, 09. You started blogging. When did you turn? Was the blog always just YouTube videos, or was it written content plus videos? It was both. I would write two articles a week and then publish one YouTube video a week. So three pieces of content each week. So when you started doing that 0809, um, when when did it when did you start making enough money to where it was noticeable to the family finances? Although I guess if you're living on food stamps and every every dollar is noticeable, but I mean, when was it like holy crap? This is this is actually this is working. When how long did it take from 0809 when you started to get to that place where like this is working? Yeah, almost two years. Wow. To to that holy crap point. It, you know, the first year I launched a few digital products, so I didn't realize they were called online courses at the time, but I was filming some videos and throwing up a PayPal button and seeing if somebody would buy a zip file of videos. Like, you know, I tried some of those things. And I, I think in my first year, I made $5,000, which is pretty sad. I worked like almost full-time for a year, made five grand off of the, the website stuff. But it was the second year when I started to see the first like you have leading indicators and lagging indicators, right? In, in business. And the leading indicators in, in this type of business is audience growth. And so I was starting to see uh, my, my, my website traffic and YouTube traffic would really start to scale in about 18 months in. And then that led to more people on the email list, which more people than hearing about my products. And so the back half of my second year, you know, I was making, maybe I'd made 10, 15,000 for the first half of the year. The back half of the year, I made $60,000 in that back half. So by the end of the year, I finished up just over 70 grand for the year. And so imagine this is now two years after like of this kind of like white knuckling it in my home office when my baby's crying and my wife's like, I hope you're making it work. Uh, At the two year mark is when I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be fine. We don't qualify for food stamps anymore. This is going to work. And the crazy thing, Jason, was that it was only a month later, like January of the third year where the income went to 10 K a month. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to, we're going to double already. And nothing's changed. That was when I just saw the hockey stick this is going to be a crazy ride. Was the income primarily through ad revenue on views on the YouTube channel or, or through the blog, or was it courses? Course sales. And it's always been that way. I mean, I make a little bit of ad revenue on YouTube, um, but that's, it's nothing compared to what I'm going to able, able to do with the course sale. So for me, it was always selling my own products. So what was the first product? The, the one thing that you put that PayPal, but what was that? Yeah, it was a tutorial on how to use um, this recording software called Pro Tools, which is kind of like the Photoshop of the music world. And it was like a three, four hour, like, hey, let's sit down. Let me show you the software. This is what I used to do with my friends. And this is kind of how the business model, how to think about it. Like I used to sit down with my music friends and be like, this software is so confusing. I'm like, okay, it's not that confusing. Pour some coffee, 
or some bourbon. If you're Jason midday, pour some bourbon. Let's look at the software. Let me walk you through. Here's how it works. Here's how to think about it. Here's how you make music with it. Let's get your first track recording. And, and I try to make a complex piece of software simple, just like I did for my friends. I just recorded the whole thing and talked to them as if they were my friend, zipped it up and sold it on the PayPal button. And that was like $45 and it was called Pro Tools Bootcamp. Do you still sell that tool? Uh, kind of, it's like snuck into a bundle now in, in, the, <laughs> in the archives. It's so bad and so old. I mean, it's actually still really good, but you know, it has had some nuggets in there. It's your, it's your added value extra if you buy today. Exactly. I'll throw that in. It's 13 years old. We're going to take a break from our show right now to bring you our sponsors. All right. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. So 45 bucks for a course that you sat in front of your computer and you recorded four hours, just showing somebody how to do something. And you end up, you know, selling it to the tune of 60, $70,000 a year, probably uh, certainly a lot more than that now as a part of everything else you're going. What, what is it about, what is it about selling courses online that you figured out that so many people like me and so many others haven't figured it out? Like, I'm a coach, I'm a business coach, and I coach people privately. I do some group coaching, I have a mastermind, and I have a course, uh, a course or two, but like I don't make any money off the courses. So what is it that you figured out that people like me and others like me can't figure out? What 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 are you doing? What's the magic sauce? Magic sauce is audience. So, you know, you have there's a lot of ways to create money online, and you've done some of those ways. You've done some of the really juicy ways, some of the faster ways too. Um, courses are just the more long-term play, the scalable ways. So slow, you don't make a lot of money up front. So that's why a lot of people get excited about a course and then they do it and they don't make much money. Like this doesn't work. This is stupid. It's a bad short-term play. It's a great long-term play. So when people see like this, the CNBC article, they see like 160K a month, like five hours a week. How is that possible? Very simple. The only way it's possible is the audience that I have built over time that is set up with automation so that like people right now will watch a YouTube video of mine, opt into my email list, see an offer. It's all automated through a tool like Kajabi. And then they get offered a course, they buy it. I get paid. I, I'm not interacting with anybody. So courses do allow you to scale, but the only way, and this is where people get stuck is they don't have anyone to sell it to. Then it becomes, oh, well, I guess I got to run ads or I got to, and that is one way because you got to, you got to get an audience somehow. So you either buy the audience, which I'm not a fan of, but it's possible or build your own audience for free with organic content. And that takes publishing regularly with intention and having a, a backend strategy to then capture those leads and turn them into customers. How do people like, or what is your primary um, social media that you enter, engage with the public when you produce your content? What, what, what do you use? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what do you, what do you use? So I, I actually hate social media and don't do anything valuable on social media. Everything that really where people find me is YouTube. Um, or, or Google search. And the reason is intentional, um, like social media is good for, this is my opinion, but social media is good for staying top of mind with an audience and fun interaction and maybe surveying your audience quickly. You can get a lot of data points on what people think or feel. It's a bad discoverability tool unless you get lucky and, and you can get lucky and you can blow up on TikTok or on Instagram. But What's much easier to do, and I'm all, again, I'm a fan, you're going to see the trend, I'm a fan of working smarter, not harder. What's much easier to do is to be discovered on a search engine. And that's what YouTube is. It's not a social media platform. It's a search engine. It's the world's most advanced search engine. Uh, and so you've got Google and YouTube. And I thought in year one, I was like, well, if I, if I create content that will show up in a Google search or a YouTube search, I'm likely to be found. And that has been the bedrock of what has allowed me to do, do anything 
um, to publish a book, to, to have coaching clients. It all comes because they find me on YouTube. I'm not doing anything on social that's worth note. I have a, an assistant who'll chop up my videos and throw them up there, but I, I'm not on there. I, I don't, I mean, I, I barely am. I was on there when the CNBC article threw, blew up because I was getting all these, these people to show, like showing me love. And, and I was just trying to like welcome some new people. And it was an influx. And you got to me at the very beginning before it got like really overwhelming, but uh, I don't, I don't see social media as a great play. And that's why people get burned out. Like I'm great. I'm, do, I'm on every platform, but do you publish on YouTube? But do you have a blog? I mean, a podcast is good too, but that's still a bit of a closed loop in the Apple podcast app or Spotify. If you had to pick one thing to do that has the most legs, it would be YouTube for sure. You know, that's, um, first of all, it's an interesting perspective that you've got. And uh, for those that are just tuning in or figuring out where we are in the middle of this, this is Graham Cochran. And uh, he's figured out how to create $160,000 a month in passive income through a lot of hard work, but now he doesn't have to work as hard. He works very smart. But I think your perspective, Graham, is really good because people get caught up in that trap of I got to post X number of times a day on X numbers of platforms. And you, your success has been directly linked to YouTube. And I checked your YouTube channel this morning, 633,000 subscribers. That, that is significant. And it sounds to me based on just our conversation that you've done that hundred percent organically. It's just, you post it, people find it, they like it, they subscribe. I just subscribed this morning, even though I have nothing to do with the music industry, I'm not a recording guy. I just like good people like you and I'm going to follow what you're doing. So that's, so I'm on there. So um, uh, let's talk about YouTube for a second. Cause I, I really like what you said about that. If somebody's out there and they're saying, okay, I want to, I want, I've got, I've got knowledge and content to share with the world. I'm going to do it through YouTube. Like my, my, uh, my idol Graham, what um, are you saying daily videos on YouTube? Do you say in weekly twice a week? What's kind of the thing that you would recommend? Obviously every content is going to be received differently, but what would you recommend? And then also link the videos. Yeah. So um, frequency would be minimum once a week. Think of it like a TV show, your best TV show that your favorite TV show, they episode every week. Like if it disappears one week, you're like, is the show over? Did the season end? Did I miss something? So people need to depend on it. And that might sound arrogant. Like, well, nobody knows about it. No one's depending on it, but you have to think of it as if you have to imagine there's lots of people watching it and, and, and they will eventually consistently publishing every week is a great doable rhythm. Nothing less than that. I wouldn't do anything less than that. There's a few rare exceptions. I have a few friends that do very high production value music videos. And it's just, it takes them a couple of weeks to pull them off, but exception to the rule. So publish at least once a week, but publish as frequently as you can. The more content you publish, the algorithm likes it, but also it's just math. Like most of my videos aren't going to do much. The 80, 20 rule will tell you that 80% of my videos are going to be kind of average, but 20% of them are going to be really good. And really 20% of the 20%. So my top 4% of the videos are going to really probably drive all or the majority of my leads and traffic. And you never know which videos will pop. You just don't know. And so you have to publish, publish, publish as much as you can to increase your chances of getting through the, through the bad videos to get to the good ones, to get to the gold and the diamonds in the rough. So I would say publish as much as you can, but what's important about that is, is as you can consistently, could you do this for five to 10 years? That's what I always think. If you're like publishing every day and you're like, I could do it for a month and then you burn out, that's not helping you. <laughs> so I would rather you start with once a week. And like, that's when you talk about the five hours a week that it takes to run my businesses, it's like, that's, that's why. Cause it's like one video now I'm just doing like one video and like a little bit of email, a little bit of checking in with my community, but like the, that's it. 
because that's the thing that keeps driving it. And it's a slow process, but that's important is at least once a week. And then length, this is interesting. It used to be short videos because all YouTube cared about was views. And that was a metric like, oh, he got a lot of views. Give him more, more juice in the algorithm until they realize that views don't mean anything. Views just mean somebody got you to click. But if you're watching like, oh, that's not, that's not what I wanted, or they tricked me, then they disappear. The, the YouTube got smart because they want to serve up what you really want. They want you to be happy on YouTube. So you keep watching because that's how they make money. So they changed their favorite currency from views to watch time. And then they've added in retention. So like how, how many minutes watch can you get? And how long per video, like percentage wise, do they watch? Like, are you creating content that people want? So length doesn't matter as long as you can keep people watching as long as possible. And there's a lot of ways to skin that cat, but typically I would say between five and 15 minute videos are going to be a sweet spot for most, most people. I do long videos on, on the Graham Cochran videos, they're podcasts. They're like this, like a 30, 40 minute video. And that's, that's incorrect according to the algorithm, but I may, I'm making more money in this business with longer videos and a much smaller YouTube channel or subscriber base than the recording revolution, because it just, there's so many ways to make this work. And that's, that's, that's what I want people to get. There's a lot of ways to make it work. There's a couple of minimums, but a lot of freedom there. Interesting. Interesting perspective. I, I, um, I, I think that what's, what YouTube is finding out is that the audience is changing and how we engage with the content is changing. So it's really interesting to hear for somebody like you, who's killing it at this, this media medium, and you, you figured out to play along in their rules. And I call it contrived authenticity. I think social media and YouTube included is contrived authenticity, not contrived in a negative sense. We're trying to lie, but we, we want to be authentic. You show up, I've seen your videos, you show up authentic. It seems the same guy that's sitting right now talking to me on this zoom, zoom uh, podcast. But, but you also have to contrive it in such a way that it fits within the algorithm because otherwise it's just a waste of time. So uh, congratulations for doing that. Now, let me ask you this about, about your life. So from a lifestyle, going back when you were trying to be the rock star musician to losing a couple of jobs, to starting his blog, making five grand in year one, 70 grand year two, and then went into the hundreds of thousand dollars in year three, that's a pretty swift change. Um, when did your brain check, when did your brain catch up with that change and, go, and like, whoa, life is completely different now. And, and, and how did you deal with that? Yeah. So I can remember 4th of July, uh, years 2012. And I was, um, in our community pool, we moved into this nicer neighborhood, which was the first big purchase we made, which is I need, I needed a better home office situation because the house we bought when we moved to Florida was not for working at home. That was, I had a job, you know, that I lost. So when I realized I'm going to be in this home office every day, like filming content and doing interviews and things like that, I need a quieter space. So we moved into a new neighborhood and that was the first flirt, which is a nice neighborhood, had a really nice community pool that felt like a resort style pool. And I remember 4th of July in my, my third year of business, they had a big pool party and I'm in the pool and it's super crowded. Like you're bumping next to people. It's kind of funny pre-COVID. Like, I don't think anybody would want to get in a pool. A lot of people now post-COVID, everyone's freaked out about like, oh, humans. Ugh. Uh, um, but I was in the pool. And I remember going and checking my phone because I would run a, I would run like a 4th of July sale. I used to do this for years and I would discount some of the products in my, my catalog and I would email out my list. And I remember looking at my phone and then getting back in the pool. I had made $25,000 that day while I was in the pool on 4th of July, eating a hot dog and listening to the crappy DJ play music in the community pool. And I was like, this is, this is insane. This is so crazy. I almost had to work a whole year to make that amount of money. And I made it while I was sitting in the pool. And that's just when my mind was like, 
like two, two simple thoughts. One is just gratitude. Like I I'm so thankful God that this is possible. Cause I never, I didn't even ask for this. Cause I didn't think this was possible. But then the other thing is like, what else is possible? And that's when I, I, I really continued on this journey of going, getting back to, from scarcity to abundance. Like I just got more curious about well, what, what's possible. Could I do more? And I didn't need any more. And I, I didn't have any grand ambition, but I just got really excited about creating new things and connecting with people. Cause it was the, it's the coolest business model in the world. You just serve people and help people talk and talk about something you're interested in. It's not to talk about, you said contrive authenticity. I don't feel like I even have to like give into the algorithm. I'm kind of just giving into what people want. Cause that's what the algorithm wants is what people. So it's really about serving people still like, what do these people need? What do they want? And that's the moment I was like, dude, game over, whatever happens from here. This is crazy. This is fun. How, um, how are you translating your success and the, the money story? Cause we talked about the bad money stories, but how are you translating that and teaching your daughters? Because it, I know a lot of people in your position and it, they're, they're concerned. My kids are older. My kids are 21 and 19. Um, they didn't grow up with, they didn't see this massive shift in our wealth and finances until the last, you know, eight, nine years or so. So for them, it wasn't a growing up 10, 11, 12, like your girls are, your girls are 13 and 10. I think you said, how are you, how are you educating your girls on how to deal with this type of wealth? Because this is, this is forever changing money. This is, this is the type of money that changes people uh, good and bad. So what, how do you, how do you deal with that as a dad? Man, that is the best question anybody could ask me. No one's asked me that till you. Um, that is like literally the conversation Shay and my wife and I have regularly now. Um, it scares me. It scares me because I didn't grow up with that. I'm very much like you, middle class. We were fine, nothing fancy. I had a grandfather who was very generous. So I remember anything really special we did, he paid for, which always inspired me. The small tangent, that's what I want to be. I want to be my my grandfather. I want to like bless my you know, like the Proverbs says, like, you know, a, a, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Like I want, I'm thinking about my grandchildren. I'm not just no offense to my kids. Like I love them too, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking longer than them, like to their kids. How can I bless their kids? Um, but it scares me because my kids are, they're a product of like the story that God's had for our life. And I can't, I'm not ashamed of it because it wasn't my decision. That's the thing. I never can feel guilty because I didn't like I'm going to go do this. I didn't want to do this. I like I stumbled into it, it, but it is what it is. What we're, what we're working on. And I don't, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you in 10 years, if it's worked, right. So come back to me in 10 years um, is one. We're constantly talking about the source of everything we have, which we're a Christian family. So it's, it's God. So everything we have is a gift is what the Bible teaches you that, that that's hard for kids to understand, you know, but like, it's helpful for them to hear that a lot from their parents, that it's not the result of our hard work. Although we have worked hard, it's a result of God's gift. So we, you can't really boast if it's a gift, like, oh, thank you. You just say, thank you. So we're trying to teach them gratitude. Where does it come from? What's the purpose of money, right? That's been so important for me from day one. Like we gave them the little envelopes, right? You get your allowance or you get your chore money, you get three envelopes, give, save, and spend. And in that order, right? You always give a portion of what you make first, um, which is giving has been a huge part of our story. We could do a whole episode on just crazy stories about giving and generosity, but it's a huge heartbeat of mine. Saving, right? Because you never know what a day may bring. So like never just spend everything you make. So I'm trying to beat that into their little heads or save up for things that cost more. Like it might take you a while. So save a little bit and then spend, right? Enjoy it, spend it on what you need. And so we're trying to teach them those things. And then it's like, we're just constantly having conversations about 
mommy and daddy, like the house we have, the cars we have, the, the trip we just took, the fact that we can eat out of this restaurant. It's like nothing. This is not normal. And so one way we've tried to show them, because you can say that all day long, one way we try to show them that is we're, we've partnered with an organization called Compassion International. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but oh, we yeah. really love what they do. And we've been sponsoring kids. We have about 10 kids all around the world. We sponsor monthly through a sponsorship model. And you, know, you write letters and, um, and you see pictures and send pictures. And so they're like our additional kids, right? Like they're part of the fam. And so we, we learn a lot over the years. It's been almost eight, nine years we've been sponsoring these kids. You learn a lot about what life is like in Nicaragua and in you know Ethiopia and Dominican Republic and all over the world. And that helps our girls see their kids, their same age, living very differently, getting very excited about being able to have a refrigerator in their home. Like this is the first day they ever had a refrigerator. So that's helpful showing them that. And then traveling and seeing, seeing that kind of stuff. That's a huge part of what we want to do is, is take them to wherever single one of these kids lives and meet them in person and show them what, you know, the rest of the world lives like. So I don't know, man, it's hard. We have a lot of conversations. I don't think it'll sink in right now because they only know what they know. Um, a lot of it right now we're getting the, why can't I have a phone? Cause our kids don't have a phone. Uh, and, and they're like, you can afford it, dad. Why can't you give me a phone? My 13 year old. Um, and it's like, it's not about money. Like, so, but th- that's like, you can hear it. Like, well, I know you can afford it. Give me a phone. It's like, there's a lot of things I can afford that I'm not going to buy. Cause I don't think it's good for you or whatever, or whatever, you know, a lot of things I deny for myself. So we're just trying to be honest and transparent about this is crazy for all of us, not normative. And it comes from God and then how to manage it. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I know that's a struggle for a lot of people. First generation wealth um, gets spent by the second generation and lost by the third. That's the, that's the story. And so good luck with that, because I know it's a challenge for not only you, but a lot of the listeners probably are in the same situation. You know, most, most millionaires today are first generation. They've made it themselves and their kids, you know, they're, if they're not taught and inspired to also be entrepreneurial and how to go make that money on their own, they can just look at others and have this, uh, this attitude of uh, I'm entitled to it. And I'm not that certainly, I don't know your daughters, but hopefully that's not their attitude and you can, you and Shay can help mold them and to have a grateful attitude and, and, uh, and want to be generous. So good luck, because I know that's going to be a difficult, difficult thing. I want to, I want to take our, uh, turn the conversation a little bit to your other businesses. So you've got, of course, the, the blog and the YouTube channel, uh, the uh, recording revolution, which has got, you know, you're making seven figures just, just on that alone, but you've also got automatic income Academy, um, the six figure coaching community and the Epic mastermind. Could we, could we spend, you don't have to ton, do a ton and, and I'm not asking you to pitch, although if you want to pitch, that's fine. But, but if like, what does the automatic income Academy do for people? I've read your page. I've gone through the page and read it and I've good job, by the way, whoever's writing that, but that goes great work. Oh, but yeah. what is that for? And what, what are you doing with that business? Yeah. So my personal brand under GrahamCochran.com, that's, that's what I'm focused on hundred percent right now. So the recording revolution is hundred percent hands-off. My business partner runs it. I stepped away from doing the content on YouTube a year ago. Uh, so that's in transition. So that's the great thing is that's still very profitable. Um, not as much cause I'm not in it. And, and some of the fan base was like, yeah, if Graham's gone, I'm gone, but he's running that. So I can focus exclusively on the personal brand. And in that brand, all I'm doing is helping people create the kind of business that I've created. Um, and so the automatic income Academy is like the soup to nuts. Like, how do you go from no idea to building a business around what you know, what you're good at and launching it? It's the same thing I cover in, in the book, how to get paid for what, you know, that's kind of was an outcropping of that course of like, okay, if you're not going to buy a course, 
you might pick up a book and read it on vacation. That's the same type of thing. It's like the, you know, the, the, the basics of how does this business model work? How is it possible to build a passive income style, knowledge income style business? And so Automatic Income Academy teaches that. And then the other two products are kind of like moving up. Like when you need more help, there's a community. My six-figure coaching community is like for people that have started and they made, they're making some money every month maybe 500 a month, maybe a thousand, but they want to scale to a hundred thousand dollars a year or more. That's a, that's monthly coaching with me that as a group, there's a, a community where they're talking with each other. I'm in the community and then there's like a monthly training. So that's like, how do we ramp this up? And what other questions do you have? Cause we're all doing this alone. That's a big reason why I started the community is we're all siloed. And it's like, I had, who do I talk to about this? Or who do I celebrate? I have my first $5,000 launch. Like I can't celebrate that with my friends because they're jealous or they don't understand or or I'm, I'm disappointed in a $5,000 launch because I really thought it should have done 15. Like, how do I complain about a $5,000 windfall when people are struggling? And so you need a safe place to talk about those things. And then I have a smaller group that my mastermind, which is only 12 of us, uh, and we meet weekly and, 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 and we really workshop. They're, they're all six-figure earners trying to reach a million a year. Nice. Which one do you, uh, you, so you're spending the most of your time on the mastermind? Is that, is that the way I understood that? Yeah, that's a higher touch point. Yep. Okay. So what do you, uh, what do you enjoy the most about all this? Is it creating the content is working one-on-one with people? Is it running group coaching? What just from Graham Cochran's perspective, what do you enjoy the most about what you're doing? I enjoy the content the most. Uh, I, I, I say, I joke that like my superpowers, I could talk for a living. Like it's functionally what I do. And, and I love I, what I, cause I love, um, giving people the ability to have an insight. I just, you know, when you, when you, when you listen to a podcast episode or you read a book or read a blog post post and you get that, oh my gosh, got a great idea. Uh, and you run off and do it. I love giving people the gift of that. And so that sounds arrogant to say, but I've, I've learned that I have the ability to do that. And so I enjoy creating content. Here's a topic. Here's a question people have. How could I deliver it in, in a way that's easy to understand and gives them the opportunity to have that insight that could possibly be worth millions of dollars. And that's like so exciting to me because all it takes is like one insight about yourself, about the, the industry, about a product, about a strategy. And then you can just, you can go figure it out on your own. And that's what I love doing. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I enjoy that probably more than anything too. I, I, uh, I've started a master. I launched, launched the Exeter club mastermind in January of this year. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoy it probably more than anything I do besides content creator. I really enjoy the content creation. So you and I are, again, are more like than we probably would have thought otherwise. Hey, so what, this is the root of all success, by the way. So what is your definition of that word success? Everybody's got a different one. What's your take on it? Oh man. I think, um, I think Jack Bogles said it best. I think it's enough, like just having enough being enough, which is the opposite of striving, right? Like I was striving for so long and I still fall back into this, like, Oh, like I got to do this or I got to keep this going or I got to reach that goal. And like, it can motivate you to do things and achieve things. And, and as entrepreneurs, we, we need that little fire in our belly, but I, I hate striving because you never arrive at enough until you decide what enough is. So to me, success is when you know what your enough is enough money, enough uh, praise from, from other people, enough, uh, whatever. And, and for me, if I, when I just have arrived at, and I feel like I'm, I'm again, work in progress, I have enough of what everything I need. I had, it's all here. I am enough. I don't have to be something that I'm not. I don't have to cling to something that I, I don't have. 
I have enough and I am enough. And I think that's the most important thing to success. Otherwise, it's not going to be dollars. I've, I've made a lot more money than I ever thought. And I didn't get any happier. <laughs> I had nicer things and we had more opportunities, but I wasn't any happier. If anything, I had more existential problems and like, oh my gosh, like, who am I? What do I do about this? And um, but man, enough to me, that's what success is. So with that as a definition, do you consider yourself to be a successful person? Oh man, yes and no. I, I, the, the reality is yes, I'm a successful person. I have all that I need, uh, enough love, enough acceptance, enough time, enough health, enough money. But then I, I, I believe lies sometimes like, oh, maybe a little bit more acclaim would be nice or maybe a little bit more money. And so, yeah, it's just like the old man, new man, just like flip-flopping. So it just depends on what day you ask me. In my right mind, yes, I'm successful. <laughs> well, knowing you now after this conversation, uh, I'm even more happy for you and for your wife and your daughters because of what you've accomplished, because you're the kind of guy I want to have that kind of influence and wealth. You're the kind of guy that needs it because you're the kind of guy that's looking out for other people. And it's not just about yourself. There's a lot of people that I've interviewed on this show um, that are like us, that, that we want we want it for other people. We want to bless other people. And I'm always happy to talk to those people. And occasionally I talk to people that are, you can tell it's really all about them and about their, their individual space in the universe. And it's not about what God's got going on for them and their community and uh, you know, more power to them too, but congratulations to what you've accomplished. Congratulations to your perspective uh, and that your faith is still strong. It seems like, and that you're trying to do the right thing. That means a lot as, as someone who also follows Jesus, it, it's a very, very important thing for me to connect with people like you that do that. Um, as we close out our conversation today, I want to give you a couple opportunities to do some stuff. So number one, uh, I want you to speak some advice to the listeners. So the listeners to this show are all over the spectrum of entrepreneurship, pre-entrepreneurs to six figure, nine figure, or seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs. So if we, if you were talking to that first set of group, that first group, right, they're, they're just getting started. What would you say is the best piece of advice at the beginning that they need to take heed to? Oh man, I think you just need to get really clear on what it is you really want. And that sounds selfish or, or obvious, depending on where you come from. But I find most people aren't very clear. They'll just say things like, well, I want to make $100,000 a year, or I want a successful business, or I, you know, I want to do work I love. And that's all great. But like, why? Like life is a whole. And we, when we compartmentalize it, that's when we get a little confused. So I would rather someone who's starting out say, project into the future, like it's three years from now. Here's a, a framework I like to use. It's three years from now. We bump into each other three years from now. And I'm like, hey, let's say it's you, Jason. Jason, how you been? And you're like, Graham, it's been the best three years of my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Why? tell me about that. What would you be telling me about? Why has it been the best three years of your life? Whatever comes to mind, those are the things you need to write down and get clear on. Is it your relationships? Is it your health? Is it you moved somewhere you've always wanted to move because you actually hate where you live? Is it an income? Like what comes to mind? Because that's really what you're chasing. And if you get clear on that, the rest will present itself in terms of the how, but just get really clear on where you want to be, who really, who you want to be, because who you want to be will inform what you do. That's really good. That's good advice. So for those of you listening who are in that spot, 
get clear on what you want because the the chasing of what you think is the right thing will waste a lot of time that you don't get back. Okay, so now I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell people how to get in touch with you. I know that you've got GrahamCochran.com, and you mentioned in the uh, pre-show that you've got a gift for for the listeners if they want to log in to go to GrahamCochran.com slash gift to get a free workshop on passive income. But are there other ways that people can reach out and get in touch with you? Yeah, you can shoot me an email right there on the website. There's a contact page. If you contact me, let me know you listen to the episode. Or the only place online that I really in, interact from time to time is Instagram. So at the Graham Cochran on Instagram. So hit me up there and uh, we'll connect. All right. So on Instagram, I'm writing this down because I am following him, but I want to make sure that I, I repeat it correctly. So if you're on Instagram, go to at the Graham Cochran, uh, Graham Cochran, the Graham Cochran, and you can follow him there, but also go to GrahamCochran.com slash gift for a free workshop on passive income. And if anybody knows how to do it, this guy that we're talking to today knows how to do it. Graham, I'm going to give you the last word. So how would you like to end the show today? What, what would you like to say? Oh man, I would just, I would just say, life is way too short to build a successful business that you hate or that doesn't allow you to live the life you want to live. So think about how does your business relate to your life's goals and how can you intertwine them together? It's the most important thing when it comes to business. So otherwise, what's the point? So focus on that, get clear on that and you won't, you won't regret it. Man, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. So, so glad that we connected and thank you for reaching back out and whoever decided to Whoever decided to interview you for CNBC, however that worked out, grateful to those people too. So thank you for being here and uh, hope to talk to you again real soon. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur sharing insight into how his story of success unfolded. And um, I, I, I was so, so far, first of all, just honored that Graham came on the show uh, because it's not often that you read a, an article on a on a major news outlet like CNBC and connect can actually reach out to the person the article is written about and end up having one on one time with them. So so uh, I was honored to be able to talk to Graham and and listen listen to the, what he talked about. You know, he's got a good perspective. He's making sure that first things are first things. He's doing what's right and he's not letting it uh, consume him in an egotistical or uh, an arrogant way. It, it, he just, more than anything, I think Graham seemed very genuine and authentic throughout this, uh, throughout this conversation today, which also tells me that that's how his life is. And um, so thank God for his wife, you know, Shay, to encourage him to continue doing this and not giving up early on. And for the people, the thousands and thousands of people that he's affecting and, and helping to get into the recording business, if, it's, if they're looking at the recording revolution, or if they're figuring out how to create automatic income through his automatic income academy, his six-figure coaching community, or the Epic Mastermind. So if you want to take a look at Graham's stuff, remember, go to at the Graham Cochran on Instagram, which is the only real social media that he says he's involved in. But he's got a free gift for you at GrahamCochran.com. GrahamCochran.com slash gift. So go check it out. Now, I want to say this before we finish today. I want to let you know that one of the things that I do as a business coach is that I help people work less and make more. That's that's kind of my thing. I, I was able to step away from a very successful business without selling the business, continue to receive the financial benefits so that I can go on and do other things. And now it is my mission to help other people just like you figure out how to do that as well. And one of the ways that I do that is I've got a business accelerator. It's a group coach coaching program that I do. It takes eight weeks to go through. It's an hour at a time. It's live with me and no more than 12 other entrepreneurs. And we talk about 
the four core principles that I use to exit daily operations of a multi-million dollar business without having to sell it, where I could continue to get the tax benefits, continue to get the financial benefits of business ownership. And I can show you exactly how to do that. And I'll show you those four core principles throughout the business accelerator. And if you want to enroll, I've got one that's starting really soon. Uh, we meet on Thursday mornings. And so go to exit without exiting com exit without exiting.com and you can apply to have a conversation with me to talk about it or if you're ready to go ahead and sign up just scroll to the very bottom of the page and you can go ahead and roll now so thank you for listening to the show today if you haven't subscribed on itunes or spotify or wherever you're listening to this make sure you go hit that subscribe button leave me a review i would really very much appreciate it i'm the real jason duncan and until next time jesus is king Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.